good to be here. Like Christian said, I'm Adam Cooper, and uh, I'm, I'm from Kansas City. I work at a church called Jacob's Well, and before I do anything else, I need to start my timer so that I know how long to go. Because usually I talk to middle schoolers, because I'm a youth pastor, and I want to make sure that I don't, like, blitz right past this stuff, because I'm not used to, working, used to talking with, with uh, college kids. I'm pretty pumped about it. Um, sweet, we're good to go. Like I said, amped to be here. Uh, we'll see how much I use my notes. Uh, it'll be, it's always, you know, it's always just kind of this adventure to step into a new space and talk to people that you don't know and just see how comfortable you get and how excited you are to, you know, interact and it's going to be fun. Um, anyway, yeah, like Christian said, I'm a big baseball fan. I'm a big baseball nut. Uh, I, the Royals are my jam. Uh, I, I mean, it's been, what a fun time to be a Royals fan, right? N- never a better time in my lifetime. I was born in March of 86, which means that I was like, five months late of the 85 World Series, and so literally my whole life has been, same as your lives probably, just sitting around waiting for something fun to happen. It's been an exciting time. Um, I got a wife. Her name's Carly. Uh, We've been married uh, about five and a half years, and Kansas City's the only place I've ever known. I love it. Uh, It's where I want to be. It's where I want to be for a really long time, and Jacob's Well Church is the place that I've been for five or six years now, too, and uh, it's great. If you're ever in Kansas City, come stop by. We're in Westport Crossroads area, or Westport uh, Midtown area. That's a great spot to be. Anyway, so Christian told me that I'm speaking on, on Romans 11, right? Romans 11 verses 33 to 36, and uh, I hear that you guys have been in Romans for quite some time, yes? Right? Getting some nods. Okay, sweet. And Romans, generally, you've got like the first eight chapters are Paul does his like, almost like last will and testament, like he just blitzes you right? He goes crazy on who this Jesus character is. And then from 9 to 11, he kind of does this little offshoot. And he starts talking a lot about uh, what this new covenant means for Israel, right? If you guys, is this where, where we're at? Have you guys been talking about this? He starts talking a lot about what this new covenant in Jesus means for the nation of Israel. And he gets to the end, of chapter 11, and he kind of ends this section, and I've got this four-verse chunk that's essentially a doxology. It's essentially the end of this, like, offshoot, and Paul does this thing where he finishes his little, you know, talk about, um, about what this new covenant means, and he almost gets, like, caught up in the moment. And he has this moment where Paul, if, I mean, we're, we're familiar with how he's been writing. Like, he's very straightforward. He's almost in your face. Like, hey, this is what this means, and I'm going to cut to the core here. And then he kind of, like, gets to the end here, and he just kind of, like, takes a step back and just kind of says, whoa. He realizes the implications of everything that he has been talking about and that you guys have been talking about for the last while. Uh, and he's almost, he's just caught up in it. And so what I'd like to do to start is read this chunk of, of four verses together. If we can get it on the screen, is it? Boom, there it is. If you'll read along with me, that'd be awesome. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. 
So he starts this. This kind of comes in three chunks, and I'm going to split this into three little, little sections here. The first section is that first uh, verse, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable are his ways. Man, I got to start using that word inscrutable more. I just like primo English language right there. But originally this is written in Greek, and some of the words in Greek here kind of really shed light on what Paul is getting at. This word riches uh, really means like an abundance or uh, inexhaustible resources, right? So like, you know, crazy, crazy wealthy, I guess you might say, but just an abundance of wisdom. The word is Sophia. And really what Sophia means in the Greek is the, the seeing the true nature of things. And knowledge is this word gnosis, and it's really talking more about spiritual understanding, about, um, about uh, what would you say, like, like mystical enlightenment, And so what Paul is getting at here is after he talks about the implications of this new covenant in Jesus Christ, he gets caught up and literally, this isn't a period on the end of the section, this is an exclamation point. And he says, oh, the depth and the abundance of the way that God can see the true nature of our world and the plan that he has. And the plan that he has is this plan in Jesus Christ that is kind of messing with the minds of the Israel nation because now these Gentiles are included too and it's crazy times. So that's this first section. And to start this first section, what I'd like to do is just talk about some of the amazing stuff that we have going on in our universe, like right now. Who here has read or heard about the discovery of gravitational waves recently? Anybody heard about that? We got some science majors of some sort going on, right? So this idea of gravitational waves is like 100 years old, the idea is. Albert Einstein, 1916, I think, literally 100 years old, he comes up with this idea that the earth is, or not the earth, that the universe is connected with this like fabric. And this fabric holds together kind of everything, and if something happens way out in space, that almost ripples take place across the fabric of the universe, across the fabric of space and time. It's been this idea, right? We know that gravity exists and that giant objects have this mass that attract different things, and up until September of last year, this was actually just a theory. It was not, it was not proven. In September, you have water. Is there water around here anywhere? No? My mouth's like drying up like crazy. I had coffee right before I came. Go, go for it. Go get me some water. Thank you. So these gravitational waves, they were discovered back in September. And this place in Louisiana and this place in Washington, at the same time, they heard, they heard two black holes converging on one another a billion years ago. They heard it in September an event that took place a billion years ago, two black holes converging on each other. And the idea is that this rippled out across space and eventually made it to Louisiana and to Washington State where these people were able to monitor and hear a slight blip on, uh, on a frequency radar that this had come across. It's unbelievable. Like, this is crazy stuff. And for the, for the, this is brand new because uh, for the first time, the like seeable universe, like the things we can learn, are not just what we can see, but what we can hear as well. Like it's blown my mind. But the crazy thing is it doesn't really necessarily tell us anything. We kind of had the idea that it existed, but 
the only thing it really gives us now is more questions, which is kind of science in a nutshell, right? You ask a question, and then maybe if you get an answer, really all you're getting is more questions, which is kind of the idea of science in the first place. What's the next question that we can ask to gain more knowledge about the world around us? What's the next thing that we can tap into that will get us a little bit closer to this idea of the depth and riches of the knowledge that is in this world? I, I like to envision this gravitational waves idea as like, you know that Tempur-Pedic mattress commercial, right? And there's like the woman, and she's jumping on the bed, and there's like a wine glass on the end, because that's how we all like jump on beds. Oh, thank you, servant. Oh my gosh. That saliva's not like slapping around in this microphone anymore? Tempur-Pedic mattress. So you're jumping around, right? There's this woman jumping around. There's this wine glass on the end. And like, imagine the woman is this like, these two black holes coming together and the earth is this wine glass. And the earth isn't getting sucked into the black hole, but there's enough distance to where you can just barely get this little like ripple on the top of the water, or the wine in the glass. That's what's happening in our universe. And for the first time, they can hear the universe and not just see it. So that's zooming out. It's crazy. Now let's zoom in. The subatomic level. I'm not a scientist, you guys. I'm a youth pastor, right? So if you got some science peeps in here, you probably know more about all this stuff than I do. But if you break down the like, elements of this world, you get atoms, right? And if you break down atoms, you get like electrons, you get protons, you get neutrons. But you can break those down further, which is basically continuing science, right? Science is continuing to break down the world that we know. And if you break down these protons and neutrons, you get these things called quarks. Not C-O-R-K-S, Q-U-A-R-K-S, quarks. And quarks are weird deals. They have found quarks that have this property where they have the ability, this, again, this is all subatom- like subatomic level, like super, super small. They have this ability to uh, travel from point A to point B within a cell without traversing the space between. So it can move from A to B without going the distance in between. So basically it has the ability to like teleport within the cells. And this is happening all over the place, inside our own bodies, inside all the world. What? This world's amazing. And not only that, these quarks also, they discovered, have this thing called simultaneous duality. Simultaneous duality is essentially that one quark, one tiny, itty-bitty quark, can somehow, inexplicably, be in two locations at the same time. How do people figure this stuff out? It's amazing. But when I hear these things, I have to stop. I have to stop, and I think the same way that Paul has to stop at the end of chapter 11, and just say, wow, God, this plan that you have put in place, this plan that you have put in place that revolves around Jesus Christ on the throne, as we read in that Revelation passage, that plan is beyond anything we could have ever thought of. And it is incredible, and I'm so thankful to be a part of it. That's what Paul has to stop and say. Just, oh my goodness. So the crazy thing is when you zoom way out, the world gets really weird and unknown and the more questions we have. When we zoom really, really far in, again, more questions. We don't really understand everything that's going on. One of my, one of my friends, his name's Nick. He's brilliant. He's, he's a, uh, a mechanical engineer at Garmin in, uh, outside of Kansas City. 
And he has this phrase that he likes to say where, um, where both God and science have something in common in the fact that no matter how long you ask questions about it, or about them, about God, about science, you'll never reach the end. You'll never come across the end of either science or God because both are infinite. You'll only come across more questions. It's amazing. And it gets to this point that Paul's making that you will never ever get to the point where you'll run out of questions where you'll run out of information and you'll finally reach this end where you'll have this all-knowing understanding of who God is or of what science is or this world. It's all going to be a mystery. And I think we in this world have created ourselves a world where we want to know black and white answers. We've forgotten that mystery is awesome. One person that gets this, J.J. Abrams, right? He gets that mystery is awesome, which is why in Lost, he never wraps up all these freaking things that I love that show. I could talk about Lost all day long. It was not in my notes to mention Lost. It just comes out. So the second part, the middle of that, which is hard to see, starting with for who, for who has known the mind of the Lord, for who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. These are two quotes here. Um, Paul quotes the book of Isaiah in the first question, and he quotes the book of Job twice in the second question. And both of those hearken back to passages that these, the readers would have known. This Isaiah text uh, is, is out of chapter 40, and it is nothing but questions. Let me read you the section that this um, counselor quote comes out of. The writer of Isaiah says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills on a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who has taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path to understanding? Questions. Question after question after question about who God is. Questions are awesome, you guys. I love questions. The second section, Job, is actually two different sections. Job, we know the story, right? Job, a righteous man, the book begins. And Job comes across hard times, which is confusing because in the world that Job lived in, uh, a righteous man should not have experienced tough times. A righteous man should have experienced blessed times because the, the code of Deuteronomy was very clear that if you bless God, you'll be blessed. And if you curse God, you will be cursed. And for Job, it didn't add up because Job lost everything. Yes, for the, we know this story, that Job lost everything. And Job, over time, consults from his friends. Hey, buds, why is this happening to me? Why am I losing the stuff that I have? Why am I covered in boils? Why am I losing my livestock, my home, my family members? Why is all this stuff happening? The first guy's like, well, clearly you did something wrong because we know how it works, right? He's like pretty black and white. The second guy, I don't even remember what he says, but the third guy is who's quoted here. His name's Elihu or Elihu or something like that. And Elihu, he says this. He says, hey, Job. Actually, Job before says, he goes, he goes, man, why does it matter if I'm righteous at all, if this is going to happen? I could be out sinning and it wouldn't matter one bit. And Elihu responds by saying this, if you sin, how does that affect him or God? If you're righteous, what does that give him? Your wickedness only impacts other humans. Same with your righteousness. It doesn't affect God one bit. It's paraphrased. But he says, it doesn't affect God. It only affects other humans. Now, Elihu is wrong 
here, it does affect God. Just like all of his other friends that Job calls in, they're wrong. They don't get it right. And finally, at the end, after all of these friends come in, God answers. And God is quoted in the second half of this, of this section. So Elihu is quoted in the, or who has given a gift to him. And then the second half is that he might be repaid. That's God speaking. And God responds by kind of interrogating Job. And this is one of the most breathtaking passages of scripture, I think, in all the Bible. It says this. God says, hey, who is this? Talking about Elihu. He says, hey, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? And he says to Job, brace yourself like a man. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. And Job, you can almost hear out of the text gulping. He's like, uh, okay, here we go. I mean, this is like snark God. Get ready. First, God starts by talking about the foundations of the earth. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. This is straight snark. God is going ape. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, right? You know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it, God says. Then he tackles light and dark. He says, where does light live? Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the path of their dwellings? Surely you know since you were already born, right? You have lived so many years, Job. Then he tackles the constellations. He starts naming constellations. He says, can you loosen Orion's belt? He says, do you know the law of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over earth? And Job responds at one point. He says, oh God, I feel so unworthy. How can I reply to you? He says, I can only put my hand over my mouth because I don't have anything else to say. I will say no more. But God, he's just getting warmed up. God then tackles a bunch of animals. He just starts listing them off. And to, I literally, this is like the first line from every paragraph that spans like three chapters of the end of Job. He says, do you hunt, pray for the lioness? Who provides food for the raven? Do you know when mountain goats give birth? Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Look at the ostrich. She might be dumb, but my goodness, can she run? Do you give horses their strength? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? Look at Behemoth. Who made that? Can you, put, can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook? Answer me. And after all this, finally Job responds a second time. He says this, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke things I didn't fully understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. My ears have heard of you, God, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So clearly, we have this transcendent God, this God who is huge and enormous and makes himself known by the fact that we can ask every question that we ever want to about him and about this world that we live in, and we will never even scratch the surface of figuring out who this God is and what God is doing in this world. We can't figure it out. It's so beyond us. It's so great. It's so huge. And you know what? First of all, I just want, I, I love that. I love that because there's something about discovery that's so life-giving. And God over and over and over again, is revealing himself in the world around us. And I think the challenge for us then is to figure out where do we tap into that? How do we find that? 
not every one of us is discovering gravitational waves or quarks every single day that we can be amazed by. But I think these things happen in our regular life on a day-to-day basis where we can be just blown away and we can stop like Paul does and just say, whoa, God, what are you up to in this world? And the crazy thing I think about this is oftentimes when we think about God in just giant terms, really big terms, he can seem almost like inaccessible, yeah? He can almost seem like, man, God's out there. He's doing his thing up in the universe and the cosmos. You can think about like uh, uh, that, the, pa- the Revelation passage that we read. You know, that's like a cosmological passage. John is out on this island in the middle of the night and he gets taken up by the spirit and looks up at the stars and this is what he sees of heaven, of the throne of God. Like it's an amazing passage. And when we think about God on that scale, we can be like, oh, God, you're so big. That's so awesome. But then sometimes I think, man, God, do you even get me? You're so enormous. You're so out there. You're so huge. What do you even care for me? And you can almost feel for Job in this passage where you're like, man, Job just kind of got schooled. He just got taken to school. Like, look how big God is and look how small you are, Job. But the crazy thing, and I think this is what Paul gets at in the last line, is that the story doesn't end with God being so big that he's unaccessible. Right? The story continues, and the whole story continues and is, and is, just revolves around this crux of Jesus Christ. That God, in order to understand us better, to get what was going on, sends his son to experience exactly what it means to be a human. Exactly what it's like to go day to day in the world that we live in. To take on the human condition, the sinful lives that each of us live except he never sinned. And so when we think of God as being out there, as being huge, as doing incredible things, and we think, man, God, if I could only tap into who you are, that'd be awesome. I think we can tap into who God is. And we can do that by looking at Jesus. There's this word transcendent that I've used. That God is transcendent. He's so huge. But at the same time, God is imminent. God is near. God is now. And God understands and Jesus is sitting on this throne at, God, at the Father's right hand, whispering into his ear on our behalf. That we can pray to a Jesus, to God, who experienced what we experience, who lived as we live, and gets what we're talking about. We can pray to him, and he's sitting right there, like nudging God, like, hey, hey, you see that guy? I know what that's like to go through that. That's what like, the whole book of Hebrews is all about. It's, it's so, so good. So, so good. So back to that Elihu thing, or that Elihu thing. I still don't know how to pronounce his name. But his whole idea is that God doesn't care. That doesn't affect God. You guys, God cares. Because Jesus cares. Because Jesus knows exactly what it's like to suffer. He knows exactly what's going on. And not only that, but God, our creator, created all that we have. He owns everything that is in this world. Therefore, it's valuable to him. It's his So when we are suffering, when we make each other's lives tough or make each other's lives wonderful, he is affected by it. He's affected. So, I'm going to wrap it up. So you've got this crazy, cool, huge God, right? He's doing amazing things in the world, and yet we go day to day, and oftentimes I'm like, I didn't see anything amazing today. I go, I, I wake up, I roll to bed, drink a cup of coffee, you know, roll into work, do my thing, go home. 
sitting around reflecting my day, and I'm like, you know what? What happened today? Did God show up? And I think a lot of times it's not about whether or not God showed up. It's about whether or not we have the awareness to realize it. And Paul realizes it. At the end of this conversation, at the end of this path, Paul says, you know what? I just realized something, man. God, you're incredible. And I think when we wake up and we walk out our door and we expect to see God moving in our life, that we will find God moving in our life. It happens. Seek and you will find the kingdom of God. Happens all the time. And so my challenge to you guys is this. When, or like where can you discover and get a glimpse into this crazy, massive, huge, mysterious God that knows all in your life? Where can you find that? Where might God be showing up where you've been missing it? Where you have just been blitzing right by and God's like, hello, hey, I'm right here. And you're just flying right past. Maybe it's in your studies. Man, I'm not too far removed from college myself. I was sitting in your shoes like, I think eight years ago, something like that. Like really not that long. And I remember being so bored with my studies. I was like, man, I just got to survive. Survive in advance, right? Just get through another week, right? I got this test. I got a paper. Just get her done. Just roll it out. Turn it in. And I think if my attitude had been different, I think if my attitude had been, man, what if, where, where can I see the divine in my studies? Where can I see the divine in my math class, in my statistics class, in my science classes, in my literature classes? Where can I see the divine in the classes that I have to just drag myself out of bed to even get to during the day? What if we changed our mindset? What if we expected to see God in those classes? Would we find him? I think we might. Maybe it's uh, with friends and family. Maybe it's tweaking our mindset to find God in the faces of the people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, or even to consider what is this miracle that is a relationship or that is love that is between two people. Maybe it's just tweaking that mindset and just being aware that where is God showing up in his hugeness this week? Maybe it's um, just in an awareness practice of when we roll out of our house during the day and we open that door just to be expected to be surprised by God. Maybe that's all it is. Or maybe that's in our prayer life. Maybe it's visualizing Jesus on that throne in that revelation passage. Maybe that's what it is. All that to say, this mysterious story of of creation, of sin, of God choosing his people, the Israelites, and then sending Jesus as the person that's going to reclaim that story, the person that's going to restore all things, what an incredible story. And that's where we see Paul just going crazy here. It says, For from him and through him, this is Jesus, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Gosh, that's good news. That's good news. I'm going to pray. God, thanks for this space. God, thank you that you are here among us. And God, thank you for the just the miracle that is our world, the miracle that is the story that has been playing out since the beginning of all beginnings, of your creation and everything that has followed. And God, I thank you so much for sending your son, that you love us enough, God, that you would send your son, that you would send God incarnate to be among us and to experience what we did, God. God, it's an incredible story. 
God, I thank you for Paul and the words that he wrote here and what we can gain from him. And God, I thank you um, just for being here and the way that you're moving among us. God, I pray this week that as we step out of this space and into the lives that we lead day to day, God, that we would notice you. That with every step we took, that we would be looking to our left and to our right and discovering where it is that you're lurking in our midst, that you're waving to us and saying, hey, I'm working right over here. God, I pray we notice you this week. I pray that we see you in action. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear um, in ways that we've never seen or heard before. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.